Okay. How you doing? I'm David. I'm Drew. And we're the creative team behind Canto from IDW Publishing. And you're listening to Spoiler Country. Spoiler Country! <laughs> <laughs> Hey, hey, people of Earth, it's time to enter the Spoilerverse via our secret portal at the exclusive Arctic Club in beautiful downtown Seattle with our hosts, John and Kenrick. Welcome to Spoiler Country. Hey, if you're listening to our show for the first time and you're on one of the social medias that we're on, like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, any of those kinds of things, you should always check us out on Spoilerverse.com. But... If you want to keep up with our latest episodes, you should bring out your smartphone, get into your favorite podcatcher, find Spoiler Country, and hit subscribe. Then you'll get all our new stuff. And if you want to reach out to us, you can do that in two ways. You can call us and leave us a voicemail at 707-656-2080. Again, 707-656-2080. Or you can shoot us an email at spoilercountry at gmail.com. Citizens of the Republic of Spoilerverse, welcome back to Spoiler Country. I'm Kenneth Regan. That is Mr. Horsley. And today on the show, well, it's David Boer and Drew Zucker of Canto, isn't it? It is. It is. All the way from uh, the lovely, lovely lands of IDW Publishing comes these two to talk about um, a, a cute little robot. Or, is he a robot? Or is a, he a, no, what he's is clockwork. He? He's clockwork. I, I mean, I see clockwork as robots, but they're not. It's a little, little different. But Can you call them robots? Yeah, I don't know. They're they're robotic, right? Yeah, it, this is a play on. Well, uh, they were both huge fans of the Wizard of Oz. Yeah, and I think they felt there was a need for a fantasy adventure of this caliber. And when you go through and you see the work, the artwork, and the storyboarding, it looks amazing. Yeah, and, and Kanto's adorable. Yeah, he needs to be a pop figure. <laughs> right, he should be a pop figure, and of course, it's IDW Publishing once again, knocking it out of the park. Uh, one of our favorite publishers. If you have paid attention here at Spoiler Country, you'll know that we love talking with uh, IDW and all the people they have over there. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. And uh, you're in for a treat. This interview is really a lot of fun. Uh, it's yep. uh, Kenrick and I, and David and Drew, and we have a we have a grand old time. We do have a grand old time. Well, let's just sit back and listen to uh, David and Drew in their own words. Guys, we're back today, and this is exciting. If you're a fan of IDW stuff, and IDW seems to kill it every year to me. They're what the stuff they're putting out lately is just getting better and better. And today is no exception. We have the team of David Boer and Drew Zucker. You guys are working on Canto, and you have a new art coming out at the end of August, and a one shot coming out here in July. Welcome aboard, guys. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Thanks for having this, us. Yeah, this is exciting. It's Canto, Clockwork Night. Woo-hoo. Tell us all about what is this world about and, and who should be reading this right now? Well, I can. This is David. I can take it. So Canto is a little tin. He's, he's part of a race of these tin people who have been enslaved. And during their enslavement, they're not allowed to have names. They're not allowed to care for each other. And they're not allowed to feel love. When they're taken, their hearts are removed and replaced with clocks. And so when their time is up or their clocks get damaged, they go into the furnaces and that's kind of it. Wow. So against this dark, darkish world, we have Kanto. He's sort of defied all of that. He has a name. He has fallen in love with a little tin girl. And when her clock gets damaged beyond repair, he has to go out into this great, big, fantastical world he and his people know nothing about to find where they've taken their hearts to bring hers back to save her. So if you read the um, trade right on the back, it's I like to say it's it's part fantasy, part adventure, and all heart. So that's Canto. That sounds awesome. That's a great premise. I That's so original. I love it. <laughs> where did the inspiration for Canto come from? I'm, like, I'm not even kidding. This sounds great. Uh, well, take it. Take it, Drew. Right. Take it. 
so Canto started as a single drawing design challenge to myself to draw something that was a little more mainstream and out of my wheelhouse. Yeah. And I did the initial drawing and it sat in a drawer for like five years or something, somewhere in that range. And I had a little paragraph, like breakdown story of what I thought it should be. And then eventually David came along. He wanted to work on something together. At the time, I couldn't do it, but eventually I circled back around to him and I sent him the the drawing of what would become Canto along with the paragraph. And he immediately connected with it Yeah, and was able to basically craft a what I call a more palatable and accessible version of what I originally came up with. Yeah. And he turned it into its own little thing where it's really become this amalgamation of both of our ideas of where this should go and also, you know, the type of story we wanted to tell. Yeah. How how many fights did you guys get into coming up with the initial story and saying, he needs to do this? No, no, no. He needs to be doing that. Very few. Very few? That's awesome. Well, yeah. Yeah. It was only really one fight, and it's currently still ongoing (laughs) almost three years later. (laughs) There's always something. (laughs) No, I mean, for the most part, the, the kind of division of labor on the book yeah. is essentially I'm in charge of art. David's in charge of scripts. Right. But we're both very involved in each other's process. So if David gets stuck somewhere or if he needs to bounce ideas or if I read something in the script that I have questions about or I think, you know, we should talk through, we – we will have very in-depth conversations about story and where things should go and, you know, develop plot threads with each other. But, and the same thing with the art, he, he sees, I would say the majority of the art as it's in progress. And he's, you know, had questions about stuff. He's pointed out things that I've done wrong that I'm just not paying attention to right. sometimes, but we're, we're both very involved on all aspects of it. I mean, yeah, full pages he sends to me, and I just crumple up, throw my <laughs> phone across the room. Like, no. What are no. you doing? What are you thinking? <laughs> this place. That's all you guys do. No, it's a very – we have a very, very collaborative process. That's awesome. And that we talk we talk almost every single day. And it's been, I think, the first time that we started talking about Canto, what became Canto, started in the fall of 2018, I want to say. And so we're coming up on, by the time Canto 2 comes out in August, we're getting close to the three-year mark of um, he and I working together on this project. So we've sort of created a little language of all of our, you know, our own, lots of expletives and, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> shorthand and just developing a story sort of as, a te- as like a true comics team. I love it. Storytelling yeah. team. It's been cool. Yeah. How did IDW get involved? Well, I waltzed into their offices and I threw this book down on Ryle's desk and I said, Do this. Publishing. <laughs> <laughs> he was immediately yeah. escorted out by the police. <laughs> oh, yeah. It took me months to get back in. Now, what actually happened is we put together a really cool, I think one of the coolest pitch decks that I've ever seen. Yeah. It's, it, it had a mock cover on it, and it had sort of telling the, the, the synopsis of the story. It was um, designed as these parchment fairy tale um, storybook pages with little art sprinkled here and there. So as soon as you're reading through it, you're like, okay, I understand what the tone exactly what the tone of this is and where it's going to fit. And then we put together some of the artwork. By the time it got to IDW, we had finished the inks for the first full first issue, yeah. which is what they asked for. So I did a lot of networking around in the shows and the cons because I never wanted to be the person who just has to throw the book into the abyss right. and hope for the best. Right. So I was meeting editors and things, and I had a good friend of ours who has come back and do and done covers for us, Ben Bishop. 
who has also done. Oh, I know. IDW I know Ben. And, uh, yeah, Ben's a friend of mine. Ben's awesome. Johnny knows Ben. Awesome. Small world. Yeah, comics is such a small world. Yeah. So, so Ben's a really good uh, friend of ours and just super supportive. And he knew somebody, one of the editors at IDW. And Ben liked the pitch when I sent it. So he said, hey, let me hook you up with one of these editors. And I thought, oh, great. We have, we totally have this in at IDW. It's going to go right through. <laughs> and it's gonna be of course it is. <laughs> and the editor came back to me and says, oh, I really like this. Let me put it with, <laughs> let me send it to the selection committee with all the other things that we're thinking about. Uh. Like, damn it. We did all <laughs> <laughs> oh my god it's like the world is starting to get a little darker right now <laughs> i know right so it's like we did all this work to get out of the slush pile and here we are back in the slush pile right so it went through the selection committee wood chipper and somehow it came out on the other end fully intact well I, and so that's how we ended up with idw there is a slight addition to that story too we we came to find out i had done a book with monkey brain a few years ago called Skybreaker mm-hmm. with Mike Morisi, who's obviously gone on to do his own thing and become a big deal in his own right. And Monkey Brain had a deal with IDW and IDW published the physical trade of the book, right. which sold nothing. It, it went absolutely nowhere. But I, I made a point of being as professional at the time as I possibly could with them and I had stayed in contact so that when the time came and we were in the slush pile with everyone else, it, it at least gave some name recognition when the names came across the table. So we got a fair shake out of it, but that, that wood chipper is – it's legitimate. It, right. It, it it's monstrous. Hard to, yeah. I mean you, know, you, you can know whoever you want over there, but the reality is that – it, it it will only get you so far because right. it's got to go through that committee process. Right, right. Which is the the proper way to probably do it. You know, they have all those yeah, people. You don't want. Yeah. yeah, you just you don't want to you don't want your book published that isn't publishable or it's not ready just right. because somebody takes pity on you or you know somebody. And I I jokingly say wood chipper, and it's that's the exact same submission process for every major publisher, right. whether it's books, comic books. TV, film, any of that, you're submitting any sort of creative material. It's most of it doesn't come out the other end. So, <laughs> so it's a um, one way tunnel, man. There's no out. <laughs> I know it just disappears. That's why I like to think of it as throwing it into the, the abyss. Wood, yeah. Cause you're like, sometimes the abyss throws it back. Most of the times it doesn't. <laughs> the abyss is staring at you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, these covers, that I'm looking at, I, I just went to Comic-Con.com, and you guys have a really good uh, review from James Ferguson on there, and he really liked it, and he, he posted some of the covers. They are amazing. Who's doing all these cover works? Drew, is that all you? Hang on. If it's the, It probably is. They got yeah. the one is cover A, Canto and the Clockwork Fairies, and you got the fairy on his that's true yeah, yeah that's, that's, dude your so art true. is ridiculous man thank you yeah you <laughs> what when you came up with this guy when when you drew the initial canto and how is he widely different is he just a little bit different but um, i would say he is probably about 60 percent intact from what was originally there that's quite a bit though um, the original version is much more stiff and much more steampunk based. Yeah. To to a degree that it would not be doable to draw him a thousand times in a book. Right. At least not for me. Yeah, to make him a little bit more fluid, a little bit more accessible. Yeah, I mean the the main thing he Canto did not go through a particularly heavy redesign process. We, we were able to nail it down pretty quickly once we established that what we wanted to do was something maybe a little more all ages than where my head had originally been at. Right. And we were able to very quickly kind of strip him down of all the excess and find 
a silhouette and I basically broke him down into shapes that I knew I could draw from any angle in any 3D space. That makes sense. It it came together pretty quickly after that. Uh, Yeah, I just, I I love the the concept of this because there's not enough fantasy for young readers, you know, except for like classics. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And they're just so, they're so overdone, you know? And you guys have really brought in something very contemporary. This is, the look is is great. I can't wait to actually read and go through everything because I, you know, talking to you guys and then reading about what, what is going on. And then you guys give the, you know, and then Dave, you gave that great synopsis at the beginning. It, it hits on all the levels. So I'm excited. Uh, Cantho didn't come along necessarily as a, like the, the best way to put this is that David and I were not unaware of a particular gap that right. was within the industry at the time. Right. We had already been working on the book, but we looked extensively at what was on shelves, what was popular, what was, you know, was there a market for this? And I think ultimately, you know, if you look at everything, everything is cyclical. Eventually, zombies will go out of style again, and at some point, somebody will do we can hope. something <laughs> that again that'll be original, and then they'll become popular again. Right, it's right. It's the same sort of deal. But whoever is first to get out of the gate on it, and that's where it gets really tricky, whoever's first tends to be able to make a good hit. And I kind of feel like we were able to hit first. Yeah. Yeah, so so when we were pitching it around, it was during that glut of all the dystopian violent sci-fi that was coming out. And it was just – I just read book after book after book that was just all – this this really adult skewing sci-fi and it just felt like it was the same another iteration of the same world and the same story just told in a slightly different way right and i i mean we looked at kanto and it was even our, our the powers that be at idw mentioned this in a podcast recent recently said that they weren't even 100% sure they really liked the book but they said they weren't even 100% sure I mean, you know, if it were to find an audience and they'd said, they said, well, we, we, it's good. We want to publish it. And if it finds an audience, great. And if it doesn't, then it doesn't. But we want to do it. And it has found its audience. And you can see since I, I am not in any way suggesting that Canto is <laughs> at all can be credited for any of this. But right. if you look at the books that came out since Canto was announced in the last March, right? you've got everything Every book that's come out from Boom Studios, except for Something is Killing the Children, seems to be a new fantasy series. <laughs> and they just announced a new one by James Tinian with Wind that's selling like crazy. And Once in the Future came out. Yeah. And you're seeing all of these new iterations of fantasy books that now it's almost become like you got to do something really cool and really different in fantasy to even get traction at this stage right and how, how do you guys keep that coolness factor is it introducing new characters is it going back and taking classic uh fantasy characters and bring them into the arcana fold or well so i i have a theory about this which is if you look at all the books that started in the golden age 30s 40s yeah and then the silver age 50s 60s Look at the names of those comic books. Superman, Batman, Spider-Man. They're all based on characters. They have nothing to do with the premise of the book. And I think that's what creates a timeless book, a timeless series, is when it's based on a character and not necessarily the world that the, the characters live in or the story that you're telling. And Kanto certainly has this great story arc that he's going on, but it's it's the the strongest reactions that we've heard from readers is their connection to Kanto as a character. That's awesome. His quest, his journey, everything is important, but mostly they just turn the page because they want to see Kanto face down that danger and say, I can do this. Yeah, that's awesome. So I think that's what, the real secret is for us. I, I think that's one of the greatest things that comic books do 
is give you that long form character development that you don't get in any other medium, really, really, you know? And I, I wanted to ask you this because bringing up Kanto as a character and that you're really concentrating on the character arc of Kanto, which, you know, same thing, but you know, do you think that writers that are coming out today have a tendency to concentrate on the clever idea as opposed to developing the, the, the aspect of what the story should be like the character? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Was that too fast? Yeah, that's okay. I mean, I mean, that just means that my question was well thought and rounded and you were like, yeah, you got it. (laughs) I want to look at the, I, I have the perfect example of this for you and it exists within the same franchise, which is incredible. You look at star Wars. Yeah. The movies are based around a concept, not a character. And they, the, or at least the, the new trilogy. Right. And they suffer for it horribly <laughs> because so much of it is like, okay, this is fine. If you go and look at what was done in Clone Wars, yeah, you look at what they did with Ahsoka. I remember when Clone Wars started with the movie, and I think Ahsoka was one of the most despised characters I have ever seen. People hated her. Yeah, That amount of character development over time and commitment to not only the concept but to developing the character has now turned what was a completely despised character into what is probably one of the most valuable pieces of IP within an already valuable ip that's interesting do you think they're going to bring something out with her right uh, yeah because they just they, ended I, the whole thing right for clone wars well they, they, now- they they've ended clone wars but i mean they they've already said she's coming for mandalorian there's oh, nice. they, they've already said they're doing a tv show i mean it, basically they got what they really wanted out of the ray character which was a really strong female character well yeah. they said they said they're casting rosario dawson because the movies got bogged down because the movies got bogged down in their concept and not their character those characters all suffer for it in the movies yeah if, there wasn't a think, single line of thought you know yeah <laughs> and, and i well, well but, but that goes to canto i i think our our focus on him has served us well, but I, I also think that it's, we both really love making this book. I mean, that, that's and it what shows. it comes down to. Yeah. We, we, we wouldn't, I mean, I, I have my general day when I'm not at work is about a 14 hour day drawing. When I am at work, it's 12 hours at work, come home and then draw for about four hours before I go to sleep. Yeah. You don't do that because you don't enjoy what you're doing. That's right. That's right. That's the same thing with Johnny and I. You know, we both work, and then we, you know, we get done with work, and then we work on on our podcast. And we, mm-hmm. and in three years, we've we've released over 350 episodes, and we've had people like J- Jerry Conway, and we just interviewed Marv Wolfman last night, and Eric Larson, and you don't get those people by not being passionate about what you're doing and, and just half-assing it, you know? So it's the same kind exactly. of concept. Yeah. It's, that's, it's really cool. I like how you guys are very much into what you're doing that it shows too, because when you go through the book, yeah, I, I, I wish I had it. I honestly am regretting not having the ability to read it before you guys came on. I really am. Well, Bec- I mean, we, we got, what does it take an hour? We'll just sit around and wait for you. Yeah. <laughs> okay, it's a quick read. <laughs> that would be hilarious. <laughs> just, don't, just skip all of the stuff that David wrote. Follow the pictures. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And I was going to say, just read the words and skip over the pictures. That's... Oh, no. Da- da- David, stop it. <laughs> <laughs> if you go to IWPublishing.com, the digital copy is free right now. So, Is it really? Of number one, at least, yeah. The, yeah, the first issue is um, up there uh, digitally for free, so you can check it out. There you go, idwpublishing.com. We could do a live reading right now and voice do voices. <laughs> Actually, you know, we do a series of shows. What I think you guys would be awesome with if you're if you're game, 
where we bring the creators on, we pick one book that they choose out of their out of their series, and then we do a, a DVD commentary style, where we go page by page, oh. and then we and then we let the people know, hey, we're on this book, this page, and we're talking with the creators, and we're gonna go over each panel or each page and say, okay, you know, this is what you're seeing, these, you know. What was going on? What was through your mind? How? Why did you guys make these decisions? That kind of stuff. It's it's a lot of fun. Oh yeah, that sounds amazing. There's definitely, you know, you go through the book and I and I look at it and I I can still remember writing the script and then and then working with Drew on the art, just like specific choices that we made, storytelling choices that really served. I think really served us with the audience. Yeah. By making these decisions the way we did. And I can still remember those different moments as we, those benchmarks. If you go through the first issue. Oh, see, there you go. Do you want to go through the, would you, would you guys want to come on and do that? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Cool. Let's, let's, after the call, after this, we'll set up a, a date and time and we'll, we'll put it together and, and I think it'll be fun. Cool. Yeah. Do you want to do it with the first one or do you want to do it with a, a, a separate book? I think we should do it with issue one. Okay. Yeah, first one would be good. Yeah. So issue one is really what, I mean, it sounds kind of silly to say it, but issue one really gave us our footing. Somehow the things we did uh-huh. in issue one, we seem to have done correct, done right to get, to bring the audience in. Cause it, we had, we've had people, you know, most of the readers have stuck around for the series or have come back for the trade. Yeah. If I only had a heart, where, where was the, when you started writing this book, is there anything that was happening in your life that really influenced Canto or, or vice versa? You know, things that Canto was going through that you started thinking things a little different with, with going on in your guys' life. Uh, from, from me, I don't, I don't think so. It was very much inspired by my love of wizard of Oz, obviously. Yeah. Cause we wear that influence on, on our sleeve. And it was kind of a, <laughs> it was such a neat wish fulfillment for me to, to be able to do a brand new story inspired by something that I loved so much since I was a kid. I tell this, I tell this um, sort of background story a lot, but one of the, I have, a, I have a huge, I have a big library at home and I have a series of the original Wizard of Oz books, which if you don't know, and if the listeners don't know, it's, it's 36 books that yeah. L. Frank Baum wrote originally in the Oz series. And when I was 12 years old, I was, I was growing up in a small town in Ohio and I spent all my time in the public library. And one day they had a used book sales and, and at this used book sale, I bought a copy of the wonderful wizard of Oz from the year 1901. Oh, wow. That I, that I still have um, almost 30 years later. Wow. And it, <laughs> what year did the first book come out? 1901. Was it really 1901? No, it was actually 1899. Oh, wow! So you what? You had like a third printing, second printing? Yeah the the first printing of that book is like fifteen thousand dollars. Wow! So this is this is so like a lot of these things. The first printing wasn't as high as the later printings because right. it ended up taking off. So the copy that I have is probably like a third, fourth printing. It has a new cover on it. Still, you know, two years after the first one, the original came out. I have a, a uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was saying I have a, I have this thing in my head that every so often I always want to get the original. Well, as can't get the originals, <laughs> but as close, the earliest printing that I can afford to get of Dracula and Frankenstein and Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. But if you ever look those things up, oh my lord, are they expensive? I yeah, it's it's in I would love to have a Jules Verne library. Mm-hmm. Um, oh my god, twenty thousand leaves. Yeah, those nineteenth century books that novels that basically established horror and sci-fi and fantasy the way what Alice in Wonderland established the genres that we know of that we know today yeah but were pioneers when they were when they first came out yeah it would be amazing unlimited time unlimited money my library would be right vast vast we need to turn canto into a tv show and then you guys will be rolling in it (laughs) (laughs) and a funko pop man 
Dude, yeah, all the fun he's like built for a Funko Pop. <laughs> totally by accident, right, Drew? Oh yeah, yeah, no, totally. Actually, <laughs> I mean, I don't see any resemblance. I think they'd have to really work on getting him to be a Funko Pop. <laughs> his, head, wants some, his head's not big enough. Said, oh, his yeah. We'll we'll, we'll fix the proportions. It's no big. It's. <laughs> Uh, original Funko, if you are listening, we will fix the proportion. We will make it. We're not too far um, from their corporate headquarters. We're in. We're just outside of Seattle, and they're just north of us in, in a city called Everett. Yeah. Well, you just just get a copy of the trade and just throw it over the barbed wire. Dude, they have a huge uh, store inside with a bunch of things that you can take pictures of. You can yeah. literally just walk by one of their offices and just we'll just slip it under the door for you. Perfect. Don't there you deal. go. There you go. <laughs> Well, our understanding about Funko, Funko Pop, I'll, I'll, I'll let you peek a little bit behind the curtain, to use the Wizard of Oz metaphor. They, they're they really much more focused on TV and film properties. Yeah. So it's really hard to get a Funko Pop of a comic unless you're massively Deadpool. successful, like Saga. Yeah. And even like Walking Dead, it wasn't, I don't think that was really in the cards until the TV show got massively successful. So that's crazy. I mean, maybe Canto becomes a massively successful TV show. And then we have a fun co-pop. And we I all think we need, one. I think we need toys to get the kids really, really involved. And then once you have toys and dolls, Oh, they'll be, they'll, they'll be, uh, they'll come running. I'm waiting on the toys, man. I'm yeah. waiting on it. Johnny knows a great guy that makes toys. Yeah. I know a toy designer, so I can uh, you know, talk to him. <laughs> the guy does amazing yeah. work too. Like amazing Great. work. So <laughs> when you guys are working on Canto, is there any other books that you're reading that might, I don't want to say take influence from, because I think you take influence from everything in your life and what you're into kind of breeds into what you create. But is there books that you're reading right now that might've helped you along? Is that a weird question? Uh, no. Uh, I'm just trying to think of, I, I've got such a huge stack of comics. Oh, that's awesome. Honestly, my reading for comics is really focused on books that friends and people I know in the comics industry are putting yeah. out. Yeah, that's how mine is uh, now. <laughs> it used to be all I Batman and, and Spider-Man and X-Men, and now it's all independence and all things of people that I, I want to I read their stories. I have on my side table right here, I have, I'm looking at it right now, I have <laughs> Mouse. Nice. And, Fra- and Fraggle Rock. So, <laughs> that's a weird that's, yeah, that's a weird mix, man. <laughs> what is going on in your head? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you've got to, if you read Canto, you'll know exactly. Um, no, but it's like that's that's the that's the range of things. I, I really was curious about the Fraggle Rock book just because I loved Fraggle Rock as a kid, so yep. I'm reading it, and it's very much similar to the show. I, I really like those biographical, graphic novel, memoir type books, like they call this enemy, the George Takei book. And I just read Fun Home for the first time, which is really fascinating. Uh, yeah. And so just kind of mouse guard. Yeah. Really great. And then, Drew, who are who was your influence for, for the, your drawing style? Do you have anybody that you... I don't want to say try to be emulate, but I feel like when people are growing up, they always tend to emulate somebody knowingly or unknowingly until they find their own voice and their own style. Cause I, I could tell right now I'm going to read a bunch of you. I'm going to read through your guys' books and then I'm going to be able to pick drew out of a, of a lineup for his, for your drawing style because you, it's very distinct and it's awesome. So I'm always curious how would, how, where'd your influences come from? So I, I just answered this for someone else. Yeah. Uh, like it, it's really weird with me because I, I've been an artist my whole life. And when I went to college in my earliest like comic pages, they are horrible. And I mean, like <laughs> anatomy that does not make sense. Right. But even when you hold those pages up against Canto, you can always tell it's me drawing. Right, and I, I, I genuinely do not know why. I have no discernible way to like pinpoint what it is that does that. I, I, I can't. I, I've never figured it out. 
but whatever I draw, you can always kind of tell it's me doing it. Right. Uh, as far as who my influences are, Greg, Jeff Darrow, Cam Kennedy, who did uh, the Dark Empire stuff back in the 90s yep. for Dark I love Glenn Keane and Don Bluth. My my influences come from far and wide. I, I am not just a comics guy. Yeah. Most of my storytelling is learned out of uh, Scorsese movies. Oh, so you, so, so you like getting the weird camera angles going on and getting that corner shot of Taxi Driver and everything? Yes and no. It, yeah. It's more it's more learning how to under it's learning the visual uh, the language of film. Yeah. Essential. And how to distill that because I, I'd say like like sixty percent of what gets used in film doesn't work for comics because comics is so dependent on the single image. But you can make that illusion and you can trick the reader into feeling like they're following the camera through an environment. And that's that's more of what I've learned out of film is how it works in film and then how to basically reverse engineer it for comics. That's cool. Yeah, I, I can see that. I, I can see the influence from Don Bluth as well. When you said Don Bluth, I'm like, oh, yeah, I can see that. Like the flowing cape is very – and just, I don't know. Don Bluth's animation was so good. You know. Secret of Nim fucked me up. Oh god, that's such a great movie. Uh, <laughs> oh my god. I, just watched, I actually just watched it recently on I mean I saw it when I was younger. Yeah. And it's on YouTube. It's on YouTube for free. And so I watched I watched it again. And that 80s animation, Don Bluth. Oh, oh my gosh. I just Dragon's Lair, right? Yeah. 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 Oh my gosh. I played that game. I still play that game over and over and over again. I have it now. Um, uh, it's on Steam. <laughs> I played it on my Mac. <laughs> I love that game. I still love that game. I have yet to beat that game and I've I've been playing it since nineteen eighty four. I don't and think anybody beats that game. I don't think anybody beats that game. Uh you can watch it on YouTube, somebody beating it. <laughs> it's amazing. Well, yeah, I, I I pull from a lot of places. I've recently really been digging into Akira much more than I ever did. Nice. And it's, that book is astounding. Yeah. Like I, I can't wrap my head around how anyone drew this stuff traditionally. I'm just <laughs> like the, the idea of figuring out where the perspective grids are is like, yep. Uh, no, thank you. I, I, <laughs> I, I played that game where my perspective uh, horizon line and points are like eight sheets of paper long, and it's like, well, I don't have a ruler long enough to do this. <laughs> Dude, you, you're looking at it, you're like, this is beyond me. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, exactly. But I, like I said, it, it comes from any number of places. It's uh, it's not just comics. I, I kind of feel like if you if all you're doing is looking at comics, you're doing yourself a disservice because then 100%. you're just copying the same stuff everyone else is doing. Yeah, 100%. I think... Some of the best people in comics do more than just the comic books, and they, they they bring in all this different creativity from everything they do. There's a guy that is comes on from time to time. He's a great artist and a great storyteller. His name is Stephen Frank. Are you aware of him? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Silver. Oh, God. It's so good. And now he's got a new one called Palomino that's coming out. That looks amazing, and I can't wait. He did a he did a commentary with us on on Silver for his favorite issue, which I believe is number seven. I think it is, and we went through it page by page. And man, Stefan is a master storyteller. But I think it comes from just not just doing comics, though. You know, directing movies and animation, and then being the animation supervisor on some on things, and just having that love for everything that comes within that that realm and then bringing it towards comic books for his storytelling. It's just, I, I think it behooves anybody to be multifaceted. Oh yeah. I mean, like we, we I, I went to, uh, I don't know. Do you guys know what SCAD is? Savannah college of art and design. Oh yeah, I do now. Uh, that, that's, that's where I graduated from. And it was always the, the sequential department, which was basically the comics department. That's was awesome. the running joke was the school hated this department. Yeah. They, they there were never any bones made about that. They still hate the department. Yeah. Uh, it is severely underfunded from what it should be. But the running joke about it was 
that it was the only department you ever learned to actually draw it. And because, of, because the teachers came from different backgrounds and disciplines, and they all were so committed to, to teaching what they knew, it made the kids within the department super versatile. So what ended up happening was the film students, when it came time for senior project, would come to Sequential to get kids to storyboard. The animation guys would come to Sequential to learn how to actually draw. Uh, the illustration guys would take classes with us. It always was like this weird amalgamation where having all those disciplines made you useful to everybody else. Right. And everybody else recognized that and would come to the department to try to pick up on those skills. That's awesome. It's like the football players learning ballet. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> it's clearly a comic book making to ballet. So just, so you know, Hey, ballet is an amazing art form. I don't, don't, agree. don't, don't knock it to try it, buddy. I have tried it. I want to see your fat ass in a tutu. <laughs> you know what? I, I, I've worn one before and you missed it. Go watch Black Swan and that, that'll be enough for you. <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so can you guys give us a hint of what's next for Canto after the Hollow Men? Oh, you mean? <laughs> you don't have to give anything away. Just that we know that okay. more is coming after this, this second run is, is, is released. Well, season's a movie. Go see the movie. I love that. Three, yeah, yeah. Seven seasons in a movie is what we like to say. <laughs> um, Community. Yeah. So, so you know, Canto Two: The Hollow Men is coming in August, and Canto's gonna. This is the way I describe it: is Canto and his three best friends. You can call them Frodo, Sam, Mary, and Pippin if you want. <laughs> um, <laughs> they go on a new adventure to save all of their people, and I think the. It's, it's out for pre-order, so I can tell you the, the premise behind it is... So after the events in the first story arc, Canto and his people are... are spoiler alert, this is spoiler country. That's right. All, right. Yeah, it is. So so Canto and his people have been... Have have reclaimed their freedom from their enslavement. And so they're, they've gone to their new home, and they're now settling in. Canto sort of knows and has got that... This, the the evil figure, the evil sorcerer, the shrouded man who we faced in the first arc is going to come back for them. He's not just going to let them go and live in peace. So then he discovers that the reason why the shrouded man has not come back to them and sort of let them live their lives is that he has cursed their clocks to slow down until they stop unless they return to captivity. Oh, wow. So now, and then, and then the wrinkle on it is from Kanto's confrontation with the Shrouded Man, he actually has taken some of the Shrouded Man's magic, and his clock is not slowing while everybody else's is. So he's now facing the eternal life problem, where everybody he cares about is going to perish while he lives on. Right. So he takes his three best friends, and they're Malarex, and they go out on a new adventure to find the source of the Shrouded Man's magic to try to lift this curse from his people. And so very much like the first arc, the second arc is going to see him learn some new truths about the world and hopefully equip him for what's coming down the road, fingers crossed, would be the lead up to the confrontation once again with yeah. the Shrouded Man to secure their freedom for good. Yeah, so I guess what I would say is there is no guarantee that we're going to be able to keep going. So anybody who is even mildly interested in Kanto, please go buy the issues, go, go buy the trade, talk to your friends about it. If you have read it already, just really any bit of support, talk about it on social media. Our, our bosses at IDW really pay attention to all that. Yeah. And the more chatter there is out there. And obviously the more sales there are, the more of a guarantee there is that we get to see, Canto three and Canto four, oh, and really find out what happens at the end of at the end of the rainbow. Yeah, that'd be <laughs> awesome, man. You guys, it's it's been about an hour already. It's All went, right, that's so weird. It went fast, <laughs> so fast. <laughs> you guys are awesome. I'm excited to have you guys come back and really deep dive into Canto and his world and go over that first book, and let's just get a, a really cool look and unique inside work look into into his world because uh, I think uh, people are going to really love it. 
where can people purchase and pre-order the book now? So purchase the first trade paperback, I guess, or the first book itself. So I think at this point, Kanto, if I only had a heart, the first story is available through all comic shops, Mm -hmm. all major booksellers online and in the shops. So you can order at you can order at Barnes and Noble and Amazon and Books a Million, as well as all the comic shops. And then pre-ordering the one shot, which comes out on July 22nd, and then Canto 2, The Hollow Man Issue 1, that comes out on August 26th. Those are both available for pre-order. Just call your shop or email your shop or go online if they have a website and ask to pre-order that. Those those pre-orders are super, super duper helpful for us to get some, you know, not only orders, but cool covers. We've got issue one of Canto 2, The Hollow Man. We've got some spectacular incentive covers, including Ben Bishop, who did a TMNT tribute cover that tributes the very first issue that Eastman and Laird did of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles back in like 86. That's so cool. It's Kanto and his friends that are that are set up like TMNT. I see it here. And yeah, it sounds guys, like Ben. Ben's a huge Turtles fan. Yeah, that is awesome looking. And then we went to the totally opposite spectrum with the with the other retailer incentive cover by um, my buddy George Kaltsudis, who does incredible illustration style, and he did a very cool vintage Wizard of Oz feeling classic fairy tale storybook kind of gave him the tin man kind of feel to him yeah so that's awesome we got like two ends of the spectrum which i think is a great mixture of drew often says one of his big influences was the 90s turtles and one of my big influences was wizard of oz so that's awesome there you go that's awesome everybody gets what they want right (laughs) well david drew it's been a real pleasure talking to you guys. I really appreciate you coming on and, and taking the time to explore and explain Canto's world to us. I'm excited. I'm legitimately buying your book as we speak on Amazon.com. And so I at least put a couple speckles in your pocket today. And then, <laughs> you know, let's get just, this pushed out. And we'll, we'll all those, all the uh, URLs that, that David just mentioned, we'll, we'll put in the show notes to get people to drive, hopefully drive some people there. Absolutely. Thank you. And one other thing, if you do buy it off of Amazon, um, please consider giving it a review, a good review, hopefully, but any reviews really help in the Amazon algorithm to um, boost us up. That's awesome. There you go. All right, guys. Well, we'll talk to you soon. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having us. are back yeah we're and i'm excited because flash. we're doing a commentary check with them too for it yeah we're 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 setting that up so that we can go through page by page and kind of get a real in-depth look at the comic book as a whole um i'm super excited because i think that's going to be a lot of fun and those are um i don't know i, I feel like you get a very unique look at could be one of your favorite books out there yeah, and it could become one of your favorite books when you learn about the behind the scenes. If I always find when I learn more about behind the scenes of what uh, of what um, how things are made, I, I yeah. end up liking it more. Yeah, you know what? It's funny that you say that because when I was like 10, 11, I loved I loved horror movies, but I was scared of horror movies. Right. right? I had a hard time watching them. Like all my friends would want to watch Nightmare on Elm Street and all that, and they scared the crap out of me. But when I saw the making of those movies, you know, like the making of Aliens and the making of Nightmare on Elm Street and the making of Friday the 13th, uh, it demystified, you know? Right. Yeah. And then yeah. I could go back and I could watch those movies and have more fun because I was like, oh, that's when they did this and that's how they do that. And da 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 It didn't have the same effect on me. It's kind right. of funny. I, it, it kind of takes away the horror, the scariness of it, but it, it makes you appreciate it more. Yeah, it made me appreciate it more. I mean, there's a part of me that goes, man, I'll never have a movie scare me that way ever again. And there's well, a part of me that is sad about that. <laughs> yeah, what was what was the last movie to scare you? 
Like, well, what do you mean by skin? Like, there's been movies that made me go, ooh, that, that'd be freaky and, and scary. And I think the last one that really, really do that to me was um, Insidious. Oh, yeah. But uh, I haven't actually been where, like, n- like, A Nightmare in Elm Street and The Thing and um, Friday the 13th, some of the, the real classic ones of the 80s, I was, you know, I was young enough that yeah. those were ones that actually made me stay awake, like couldn't go to sleep. You know what movie used to scare me as a kid? Huh. You're going to laugh at me. Uh, Wizard of Oz? Dumbo. Dumbo. Yeah, well, that actually scared a lot of kids. The pink elephant on, on parade scene yeah. scared the shit out of me. Yeah, that one didn't scare me, but uh, uh, The Black Cauldron did. Oh, I love that movie. Yeah. It makes me wonder if they'll ever re-release it, or is it out on Disney Plus? I don't know if it's on Disney Plus. It's a it's the only Disney classic movie, or it was for a long time, to not have a G rating. It was PG. Yeah. Because there's blood in it. But uh, I, I I saw that in the theaters as a kid. That was one of my I first saw it movies when it in came theaters. Out. Yeah, it was eighty six when it came out or something like that. No, that no, is that when it came out? Yeah, Black Cauldron. Yeah, it came out in the eighties. Well, I knew it was in the eighties, but I thought it was uh, like eighty two. Well, I, if it was eighty two, I definitely didn't, I definitely did not see it in theaters. Oh no, no, eighty five. Eighty five. Uh, yeah. No, there's a good chance you still saw it in the theater because they used to re release movies all the time into the theater. I saw Superman in the theater. Yeah. And that, that came out, what, 74? 70, yes, early 70s, yeah. Yeah, and I saw that in the theater, and I saw Star Wars in the theater because they re-released those. They don't do that anymore. But they really should. Cool. They really well, should, like, take a, cut movies from a couple years ago and re-release them that you didn't get a chance to see because seeing things in the theater is a completely different experience. I don't know how we got off on this diatribe. I asked um, you what, what scares you when we got there, but yeah. I agree. That should be good, but also do it after you know COVID's down and gone, and people aren't getting sick and dying. Well, that goes without <laughs> saying. But DVD commentary track with Canto, IDW Publishing. Uh, when that comes out, we will definitely get everybody involved and tell everybody that's going on because that one's going to be a lot of fun. I implore you to go to IDW Publishing, look up Canto, and give it a look at because I think you're going to be surprised. Not really surprised because these two guys know what they're doing and they're great, but just how well it's put together yeah yeah and if for nothing else just hearing that nice lovely awkward bumper in the beginning from david and true just makes Uh, you gotta you gotta go check it out because of that it's so good it's it was gold wasn't it (laughs) it was gold it was gold and it's just so funny because they you know uh is it dave or i think dave set up drew yeah drew set up dave one of the ways i don't remember (laughs) so there you guys go all right we're out of here that's a if show. you like that, please check out spoilerverse.com. We got a lot of other stuff out there for you. Tons of podcasts, tons of stories, tons of articles. I think you'll enjoy it all. Yep, yep, yep. And uh, while you're there, click on that store link, go buy something, face mask, cover yourself in your public, you know, t shirt to also cover yourself in public because we don't know wants to see your boobies. And, um, you know, <laughs> helps us out with the keeping lights on here and paying the bills. All right, guys, don't forget. In an oceans of podcasts, we are Cthulhu, and as Cthulhu compels you to do, open the mind and read more. <laughs> yeah, that was just funny. <laughs>